0: Dunk, back to throw, in trouble, he's going to be sacked, no, gets away, he runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10, he dies, touchdown
1: 49ers! What's up 49ers faithful, we are back with the 100th episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, and we have come a really long way. It started out with myself and Al Sacco, who actually wanted to be on the show today, but we couldn't swing it, so hope to hear from Al at some point in the postseason. But, man, we've come such a long way on this show, from starting off on our phones as two guys just talking, to having guests to such as Mike Silver and... Joe Starkey and I remember we got Solomon Thomas and we've had Raheem Mostert on and we've had countless amazing guests on like John Middlecoff is one of my favorites and Larry Krueger and the list goes on and on. It's just been so great to bring this to you guys for 100 episodes and to me it's kind of funny because I was, I was thinking about this to myself today while coming home from work and it took a hundred episodes for the damn 49ers to make the playoffs. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's the funniest thing to me is like, it took a hundred episodes and on the hundredth episode. We're doing our very first playoff preview podcast. And I couldn't be happier to bring it to you. As you all know, I am Zane Nakvi and always joined by Levin black and Rob Stats Guerrero guys. I'm so happy to share this with you. Like, you know, you guys came on this year and, and you've seen that the great support that we've had from the fans Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for the support. Thank you all even for the criticisms cuz it makes us better. Thank you so much for all of the love that you've showed us over the last two plus almost 3 years now that we've been doing this. And guys, I am so happy to to share this with you.
0: Yeah, it's uh good like you said we joined. I joined uh at the beginning of the season uh and it's just been a lot of fun getting back into the swing of things as a semi-retired journalist. Hung up my pen at least as a journalist and all that so it's been a lot of fun just getting back into doing something like this
2: look I'm the new guy here but you know I produce a a football daily football show but I don't usually get to be in front of the microphone or in front of the camera so I just really appreciate you guys you know adding me into the to the team
1: and you know let's keep it going let's go for 200 and beyond absolutely hey Stas you know what you are actually you're kind of like you are kind of like Gary Payton on the Miami Heat when he got his ring. He was like basically like sitting on the bench, and he kind of like got. He still got the. He's still contributed, right? Like he's still part of the team. Dude, the- you could you could have made me like Debo Samuel, right? Like new rookie <laughs> person,
2: but coming on strong, like having a solid first year. Instead, you made me bum ass Gary
1: Payton on the Miami <laughs> Heat. All right, all right, I right. retract that. All right, you could be Debo. All right, you could be Debo. Man. You're the rookie. The new the new kid on the block. You're the rookie. And uh, hopefully, going to get Debo will get a ring as well, right? So, there you guys, go. We have so much to talk about today. I'm so thrilled to be having a playoff podcast. Period. I mean, we thought that for a moment at the end that Seattle game that Niners were playing last week, and then uh, the, the the big stop by Dre Greenlaw at the goal line, which is immediately has become an iconic 49ers play in a team full of hi- a history full of iconic plays. And it's it's the six seed Minnesota coming in. We knew that at the beginning of Sunday's games. Basically, when they beat New Orleans in that overtime thriller, where uh, Taysom Hill did have a fifty yard bomb, by the way. And I would have won the Taysom Hill bet had it made it. I should, probably should have, but uh, th- that's not <laughs> that's not here nor there. Thanks, guys. But guys, this is this is one of those weeks that we're so pumped to talk about. <laughs> Rob, Stas giving the middle finger on the video. That's awesome. I wish you guys could see the video of this. It's 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 really hilarious. Well, maybe one day we should publish it for them. It's it's really hilarious. But guys, have we had, got a jam packed hundredth episode for you? And and guys, let's just start with what what's going on in the playoffs.
0: Well, I think it's a very weird year in terms of the NFC. I think yeah, the six seed won and beat potentially. The best three seed there's ever been. I mean, they were thirteen and three. They're certainly up there in terms of best three seeds. And then, even though they beat one of the top three seeds, the Vikings are not really a six seed in terms of actual quality. They're a team that a couple breaks here and there. They're a a by qualifying quality team in my mind. This is a team that if they'd just been a little bit better here and there, especially. Early in the season, I wouldn't have been shocked talent-wise to see this team being one of the two teams with a bye. So this is definitely a much closer matchup than a number one versus a number six normally is.
2: Yeah, you're completely right. I mean, the Saints are the first and 13-3 team in NFL history not to make it out of the wildcard weekend. And that just goes to show how good the Vikings are. I mean, they have a loaded wide receiver core. They have Daniil Hunter, who got to 50 career sacks faster than anybody else in the history of the NFL. They've got Dalvin Cook at running back. They have studs all over the place. So even though it's a six seed, like you guys have said, certainly there's, there's not the comfort that you would have playing six seeds
1: in other seasons. Personally, I wanted the Eagles. I really did for two reasons. Number one, because dumbass Seattle would be out. And number two, Because that, to me, was the easiest draw. Because they were so injured and they were so hurt. But that being said, this game is at home. The Niners have had 12 days to prepare. And you're getting everybody back. joukowsky tarts coming back. D Ford's coming back. Quan Alexander is coming back. That's huge. You literally have your day one defense. They're intact. And whether Quan Alexander plays a a big role or not, you have... The heartbeat of the defense that you can't deny the fact that this guy, when he's on the field, the entire defense elevates his game because he's the emotional leader. And when you're in the playoffs in a big game, you have to latch on to every little bit of anything that you can to be able to put you over the top, whether it's a play or a hit or an emotional leader trying to jack your guys up for a big stop, whatever it is, like they're getting the stop troops back. And to me, that that was the reason why this buy was so big when they won that game in seattle that's the reason why is because they afforded themselves the ability to get the first break that they've had since literally since september
0: right i mean it's huge for this game in particular i think with tart and quan most likely coming back they need that speed and they need a more disciplined safety i mean marcel harris he is good In the run game, I would say, I mean, he is sort of like a linebacker in there, but he bites on the play fakes quite frequently at a very alarming rate because I think Minnesota is going to come out with a very heavy play action style. I would not be surprised if they come out in very first play, they go for it and they do a play action and try to get a, a deep pass because I think they're going to come out with the mindset of we need to jump out early and not let this crowd get into it i mean it's the first playoff game in for the niners in levi stadium history so the crowd's going to be into it but if they can get a big play early i mean they can do a lot to silence that so this is a very dangerous game and i'm quite happy to have tart back there because he's not as susceptible to that play action i
2: completely agree with you i think getting tart back makes a bigger impact than alexander because honestly we don't know what he's going to be able to give us i mean we saw jj watt come back from that injury this weekend he had a sack yeah but you know he was he wasn't bad but he wasn't the jj watt you know full strength 100 percent jj watt that we usually see so it'll be nice to have kwan back but i think the real impact is tart back there marcel harris can make some plays but there's just a
1: comfort level there and when you face a wide receiver core like the vikings have you want all your starters back and let's not forget D. Ford. Since D. Ford went out in in basically week eleven, he was done, and he hasn't played since then. The Niners' pass pass rush has dropped off significantly, Bosa specifically, because he's getting double teamed. And when you have D. Ford, even if he's on the field for obvious passing downs or if they need a big stop, it's still another guy to account for. And look, he's a he's a speed rusher, and I'm kind of curious to see what he's going to be like. I mean, he's had about six weeks off, right? If I'm not mistaken, he's had six six or seven weeks off with the bye now. And whatever the injury was, it was a knee and a quad is, is what they said, but they didn't really give more detail than that. So it's a lower body injury, which is going to affect his speed. It's kind of, it'll be kind of interesting to me to see what impact he has, because ever since he went out, like I said, like they've, they haven't, they haven't looked the same on the, on the defensive line with the pass rush.
0: No, D Ford's barely played in the second half of the season. I mean, when he did come back from getting injured the first time, he only played what, not even half a game. So he should be well-rested. It's whether or not he's in form. I mean, he's had a significant chunk of time off. So I think there could be a little rust there. But it is huge because, in all honesty, at the end of the season, the most disappointing part of the team had to be not getting home on those sacks. I mean, what they do? Go two weeks in a row without a sack. Mm -hmm. And that is very disappointing because, even without D. Ford, you still have Boza, you still have Buckner, and you still had uh, Armstead. You should have been able to get home on some of these sacks. So if Ford can kind of get this defense to revert back to its early season form, that to me is going to be enough to be the difference. I don't, if this defense is able to get after the quarterback like it did in the first half of the season, I don't think Minnesota can win.
2: And that's my biggest worry is something that we've been sort of circling here, is that One of Kirk Cousins, I think his greatest strength is his ability to stand in there with a guy barreling down on him. He stands in, he doesn't flinch, and he's able to make big, deep throws accurately down the field. We saw it in the game against uh, New Orleans. He had feeling on a couple of deep balls, especially the one at the end of the game. I mean, he stands in there. He can get drilled. And still make big plays. So the 49ers have to actually get home. They can't just get close to the way they have
1: been these past few weeks. They have to actually bring him down because if they don't, he's going to make them pay. To that point, Stefan Diggs, he's obviously got a 1,000 yards receiving season, but he has 1,100 yards on just over 60 catches. It's like he's averaging 17.9 yards a catch, which means that they're thriving, like you said, stats off of that big play. And to me, I think that there's there's two things here that are kind of a saving grace for the 49ers that Minnesota hasn't really played a defense like the Niners yet in terms of the the quality of of athletes on that side of the ball. And the second thing is is that this is this is a home game, right? And I think that I really think that Minnesota played their Super Bowl in in New Orleans. I really do. And how many of those games do you have left? It's funny, I put a stat out today that that Levin immediately dismissed that I need to so I need to make up for that and come up with another stat. <laughs> in the, the history of the NFL, there has been no team that has beaten one 13 and three team in a wild card round and then beaten another one in the division round and back to back games. So that's never happened before. Um, another stat, I guess that that is more relevant uh, because it has a bigger sample size. the 49ers in their history are four and zero. Um, When having the one seed in the divisional round, they've never lost. That Um, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything because there's teams of the past. Another stat (laughs) that that may mean something I'm just throwing them out here and I'm looking for Levin's approval. But another stat is the last time the Minnesota Vikings defeated the 49ers in the playoffs, I believe, was uh, 1987, where Anthony Carter went crazy. Uh, It was in Candlestick, and the Niners, I believe, were I'm not sure if they were the one seed or not. But uh, I was like a little toddler back then. But that was the I was last still time peeing
0: in the bed. I mean,
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's how long it's been since the Vikings have beaten the Niners uh, in the playoffs, and and they played several times since then, as we know. So I don't know if any of those mean anything. But I'm trying to make myself feel better, guys. My anxiety about this game because <laughs> Minnesota's as you said, guys, like they're a really good team. They're not a they're not deserving of a sixty. They should be a higher seed.
0: No, and the whole reason why that stat didn't mean anything to me when you posted it on Twitter was. Like Rob just said, Minnesota or New Orleans is the first 13 and three team not to make it out of the wild card round. Mm-hmm. What that means is no team has had the opportunity Minnesota has to win to beat two 13 and three teams because they can't have that opportunity if every 13 and three team has made it out of the wild card round. So they're the first team to ever play back to back 13 and three teams in the wild card and in the divisional.
1: Well, I should say that that they're thirteen and three or better um, in the divisional. But I mean, it's I, I, your point still remains. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the sociologist son. Uh, my mother is a sociologist professor, so statistics. Uh, I tend to be very uh, hard skeptical. judge of statistics. Yeah, skeptical. That'd be a good way to put it. But you would say that's your biggest worry, Zane. What are you were talking about there with the big play?
1: Yeah, my biggest worry, I think, is the lack of experience from the 49ers and just the jitters because Minnesota, they, they've been playoff tested. We know that they had the, the Miracle and Minneapolis and all that stuff, and m- many of those players are still on, the, on this Minnesota team, and they just played a really, really hard-fought game in New Orleans and came away with the win in overtime. The Niners have been sitting at home, and they've, they haven't had that playoff game yet, although I will say that they've been playing at playoff level intensity for about half the season. Now from that gauntlet of three games against green Bay, Baltimore and new Orleans to the game against Seattle in Seattle, they've been playing to the game, even against the Rams at home that they needed to be able to get, to be able to get home field advantage. So they've been playing at at a playoff level intensity for a few weeks now, but when you're in the playoffs, it's something different. And I can see this game starting off with a, a turnover or a bunch of dumb penalties or Jimmy making a bad throw and eventually the Niners right the ship and, and they're able to to be fine. But really, that's my biggest concern is like, what are they going to do on the big stage? What are they going to do uh, when it's win or go home? Is this team going to step up like they continuously have been? Or because it's the playoffs, are we going to see them throw up a clunker? I mean, I, I'm I'm leaning towards them stepping up, but really like the thought of them playing like their first playoff game with all these rookies and young guys and Jimmy's first playoff game as a starter. It just, it gives me a lot of anxiety. It really does.
0: (laughs) My biggest worry is very specific to Minnesota's run game. Uh, And it's not just the run game overall. It's how they attack teams in crunching the numbers, which NFL savant.com. If you don't know that website, that's a great website for all this, but Minnesota's area in which they've succeeded to the highest degree running the ball has been when they've been able to get around the ends. On the left end they've averaged seven, almost 7.5 yards a carry. On the right end they've averaged almost 7 yards a carry. That's on first down. And they've run that quite a bit. Meanwhile, the Niners' defense fits right into that in terms of a nightmare scenario. The area in which they've been the worst in the run game has been on the ends so you got both Minnesota's defense or offense where they have the highest average per rush when they're able to get around the end and the Niners defense has allowed the highest average rush on the ends so i think that to me is my biggest worry and one of the biggest keys to the game is the Niners being able to kind of create that bubble and not allow Delvin Cook to get to the outside keep him in the center and make him run up the middle into a DeForest Buckner, into an Eric Armstead, and into those linebackers that are, you know, Warner, Greenlaw, and Quan are all very fast linebackers. They need to keep that contained and not allow Minnesota to get the edge because if they get the edge, they're going to be able to get some big chunk plays.
2: Guys are giving me agit over here. I feel like this is my cousin Vinny. Is there any more stuff we could pile to the outcome of this game? (laughs) I mean, what you said, Zane, is totally true. Only 14 guys on the 49ers' 53-man roster have any playoff experience at all. Only three guys on the 49ers' roster have ever won a Super Bowl. And one of those is Jimmy Garoppolo, who has as much experience in the Super Bowl as I do. And (laughs) now, Levin, you're coming with the actual data that shows that basically the 49ers are going to get gashed along the edges all night long giving me flashbacks to Lamar Jackson, who was running around the edges willy-nilly in that game. I mean, I was feeling pretty good, but now like you guys are really freaking me out a little bit. And by the way, I should point out, this game's going to be played on my birthday. So (laughs) I can't have a bad birthday, and you guys are really bringing me down
0: already. Well, I, I will say that I do think Lamar Jackson skews that quite a bit in terms of the Niners' defense, because he was going around the end so frequently. In that game and without going through each and every play and adding them up and tattling them, I don't know how big of a skew that is, but I would imagine it's quite large.
1: So how about this stats? What can we tell you that's going to make you feel better about this game?
2: Tell me that Jimmy's going to play the way he played in New Orleans then I'll feel great about the game. You tell me that. I mean, what did he throw four incompletions that whole day? No incompletions in the second half? I think that was that game. You tell me that, I'll feel a little bit better, but
1: man, tell so me something. I've, <laughs> I've, got, I've, got a, I've got a bevy of reasons why the Niners should be confident about this game. And it starts, frankly, with Kyle Shanahan and, and Jimmy Garoppolo. And the fact that since that Seattle game, the first Seattle game, Kashian Shanahan, they, they both as as a as a tandem as a pair gotten much much better with their respective jobs. Kashian Shanahan has really found a, a rhythm as a play caller. Jimmy's really found the rhythm a rhythm as a passer. He's outplayed Russell Wilson the second half of the season. He's outplayed most quarterbacks the second half of the season. He's been lights out and you can say that because of the defense's injuries and and the way that they played they and the opponents that they played frankly the the high powered offenses they've taken a step back but Jimmy has been instrumental in carrying this team to the record that they have, including a home field first round by, uh, that they got in Seattle. Like he was, he was amazing up there. He was almost flawless. No, he didn't throw any touchdowns, but he didn't have any of those throws. Like, Oh my God, Jimmy, like, what are you doing throws? So, Really, he's gotten better as the season's worn along. And I think that, to me, that's a testament, that true testament of a really good quarterback is that how do you play once they have basically half a season of film on you and you're playing your division opponents a second time through and they've seen you the first time, can you put together a better game? And he's done that every single time that he's played a, a, a division opponent a second time. So, to me, like this is, this is a much different team than they faced last year, the 49ers are. Last year, remember, it was Dante Pettis' first game. It was Mike McGlinchey's first game. McGlinchey had to slide over the guard because there were injuries. Alfred Morris was the starting running back, okay? So this is a much different makeup of a roster than it was the last time that they played, and Jimmy's a much better quarterback Daniel Hender was famously quoted as saying that Jimmy looks scared when, when they played, when they play them. And subsequently we remember he tore his ACL a couple of games later, but this is a much different team. He has a better grasp on the offense, the offense than he did last year or even earlier this year, that confidence that you're seeing within Jimmy, it's been growing every, every single game. And this is basically his, his coming out party was earlier this season. This is the stamp to make him basically say like, Hey, I'm going to shut up all the haters. I'm going to shut up all the doubters. I'm going to execute this offense at a high level, a complicated college game on offense, by the way, execute at a high level. And we're going to def- decisively win this game. Because if you put pressure on Kirk cousins, if you make him force the ball, if you put people in his face, yes, he, he will stand and deliver, but he will also deliver it to your guys too. So to me, two big reasons right there are number one, they haven't faced an offense like this 49ers offense because we see now every week, Kyle Shanahan, he comes out with new plays, new gadget plays, new formations, new, new little wrinkles and nuances that he has in his offense that he's been saving up. Now we know that he's been saving these up because we haven't seen since uh, we haven't seen some of these plays at all. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is the defense, Niners defense. Minnesota, forget the numbers, right? In terms of a talent perspective, Minnesota has not played this talented of a defense the entire season. And I would challenge anybody to find a defense. Obviously, it's not on play. The games aren't played on paper, but to find a defense that is this talented that Minnesota has played. So those are two big reasons that I think the Niners will be okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Niners, I'm confident they're going to win. I mean, I'll go, spoiler alert, I'm going to pick the Niners to win this game. (laughs) But... (laughs) <laughs> I I do think that the Niners' sophistication on offense is going to give Minnesota fits. You know, I'd love to see Jimmy Garoppolo come out of the tunnel in a Halloween mask or something, just to poke fun at that whole <laughs> playing scared thing. But I don't see him doing that. It's not really his mo. But I do think the Niners have some very distinct advantages on offense, and I do think they're going to be able to put up thirty plus points. And I think those advantages are one. Minnesota, when they've played top tight ends this season, they've given up some big plays and they've given up a lot of yards to the tight ends. And we did see last season, George Kittle had a lot of opportunities in that game. He did have the one drop that everybody still yeah, talks the huge about. drop, right? But he still, still put up something like 90 yards in that game. I think he's going to have a lot of opportunity. And I think the Niners are going to be able to specifically attack that left side, or I guess the right side of Minnesota's defense, the left side for the Niners going that direction the Niners have had a lot of success there. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a bunch of leak outs in that direction where they try to get Debo Samuel leaking out to the left, or they try to get the Kittle, you know, leak out tight end signature play, or maybe even juice leaking out that direction, because I do think they have an advantage on the left side. And the reason I say that is the same reason, pulling the stats up on the NFL savant and just comparing them. The Niners do quite well going to the left side. Meanwhile, Minnesota struggles to defend that.
2: The one thing I feel good about going into this game is I think that coaching-wise, the 49ers have the advantage. I think Kyle Shanahan is a better coach than Mike Zimmer. I think Kyle Shanahan's a better game manager than Mike Zimmer. I, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be close, and I have confidence that in those close situations, Kyle will manage the clock and the game better than Mike Zimmer will, especially because the 49ers have had so much experience down the stretch in all these games, what did they have? Five straight games, I think, decided on the final play, basically. I yeah. mean, if, if Kyle Shanahan wasn't a good game manager in those spots, he certainly had the opportunity to, be, to become one this season. And I don't see the 49ers puking on their shoes in a big spot, whereas Minnesota, I feel like, hasn't had a ton of those. So I'll take the Niners in that specific area, and that does make me feel a little bit better going into this one.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, kind of, I'm with you, Stats. I think that and Levin as well. I think that the Niners, they've been through so much this year. They've been through injuries. They've been through bad weather games. They've been through hostile environments and tough road trips and stretches, historically tough uh, in terms of scheduling and and opponents winning percentages. And they've weathered all of that to the tune of 13 and three, a first round by in the division champs. And it hasn't always been easy or pretty, but they've been able to get the job done. And I think that when you're in the playoffs, that's really what it is. It's not, a, it's not a beauty pageant. You have to just get the win. To me, I'm like, you know what? I don't care if you win. What was that? The Vin Diesel line from Fast and Furious. It doesn't matter whether you're winning by an inch or a mile. Winning is winning, right? Like That's really what it comes down to is that I don't care if they win by a point or 100 points. It doesn't matter. Just win the damn game. And I think that they're too well coached to to lose a game like this. I think that Kyle does a really good job of keeping them grounded and self-aware of what's going on. And on top of that, this is going to be personal for Kyle because they came out and they pretty much embarrassed the 49ers in that first game last year. And Kirk Cousins, we all know the whole flirtation with Kirk Cousins coming, possibly coming into the Niners before, before the Jimmy trade and and all that stuff. And, and there are still rumors of Kirk Cousins coming to the Niners. And uh, um, Mike Florio was was stoking that flame stats. But... <laughs> it's not my fault but yes he was <laughs> i like you guys are like bffs like it's your fault like you're you're trying to like hang him on i tell him every time that he's crazy but
2: you know uh, i wanted to ask you guys about that i mean it's no secret that kyle wanted cousins that was his guy he had his heart set on it you know this jimmy garoppolo thing fell into his lap do you mm-hmm. think that there's a little sort of I don't want to say a showdown, but it's kind of like a pose down. You know, it's kind of like two bodybuilders on the stage at the same time. There it's going to be for Kyle. The guy he wanted versus the guy he's with. And do you think sort of that, you know, he almost needs to see Garoppolo win this game just to sort of be done with that and get a little closure on the Kirk Cousins relationship, Levin?
0: No, I think he got closure, but that might be the first time in Jimmy Garoppolo's life a coach has looked at somebody else and said, I like that one more. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, Kyle is quite happy. I do think Kyle and Jimmy are a good fit because I think Jimmy plays the quarterback position in a way that is similar to Kyle's coaching style. He's going to be aggressive and he's going to take the big shots when they're there, but overall he's going to be methodical and he's going to be very precise and efficient and i I think that's a good marriage, and I think that's a lot of what. Kyle liked in Kirk. Kirk is known for taking the shots. He's known for going for it. And early in his career, pretty much up until this season, he was known for having more interceptions than the average quarterback, but he also had a lot of big plays. And that's been the thing with Jimmy this season. He's had some big plays, but he's also thrown more interceptions than he should, especially early in the season. I think it is a good marriage. And I think uh, Kyle sitting at 13 and three is quite happy to be where he is.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's so much a uh, Jimmy versus Cousins thing as as it is a uh, Kyle versus Cousins thing. And I, I've noticed that whenever Kyle makes everything like a game personal to to him, like whether it's uh, he got beat by that team by a lot the last time they played, or there's stuff in the media, or people are just hyping up this team and just disregarding Kyle's own team, like when he when he seems to like, make it personal, uh, I call him disrespectful Kyle. Um, and uh, when he when he seems to take it there. I think that he's a much better coach and the, the only exception to that was the Atlanta game. And to be honest, guys, like he basically saved Dan Quinn's job. And I'm not sure if, if Kyle was, was keeping some bullets in the holster for the next two games after that, but I was there and they, they played a really vanilla game. And I think that I'm not saying that he threw the game, but I, but they definitely played a really vanilla game because I think he was saving plays. But that being said, uh, I think that, When Kyle makes it personal, like, look, it was personal against Carolina this year. They went and stomped him because Carolina was the very first game Kyle coached and they came into Levi's and they embarrassed the Niners. It was personal against Cleveland. Kyle's been there. He didn't have a good experience there. Stomped them. It was personal against Sean McVay because there's always those comparisons between Kyle and Sean McVay stomped them once and then beat them the second time. Personal against Seattle because... It's the Seahawks, and they always talk about the big guys, the big guns, and these guys with the new kids on the block, and they beat them. So I think that if he takes it to that level, and he takes it personally, which for some people isn't a good thing, for other people it is, but if he has a little bit of Richard Sherman in him and takes things personally and he gets petty, I think he's a better coach because he gets pissed off and he gets into a zone as a play caller that few coaches in this league can reach. So that being said, this is personal with him and Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins went out, beat him the first time. It wasn't particularly close. Uh, The Niners made it close at the end with a late touchdown. But I think that if Kyle can take it to that level, the Niners shouldn't have a problem winning this game.
2: Any worry that the defense is not going to be totally prepared because Robert Sala had an interview with the Browns during this week? Yes. (laughs) I mean, like I don't want to be a jerk, but there's (laughs) only... I know this very well. There are only so many hours in the day and every hour you take to to devote to that Browns interview, which I don't blame him. It's an important step for his career. You know, he doesn't know how many coaching interviews he's going to get. It's a, it's a, a big interview that you need to prepare for. It takes time. So every hour that you take doing that is an hour. You're not game planning for the Vikings. I'm just throwing it out there. So Levin, you are legitimately concerned.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I... One, before I get into it, I like how you're kind of taking the floral role here, kind of stoking the flames of <laughs> <laughs> it.
2: Two, it's uh, I do think
0: it's human nature. I mean, it's, this team has talked about being focusing on the next game and not looking at the big picture and kind of having tunnel vision. Well, when you go take a coaching interview, what are you what are you doing? You're not tunnel visioning. You're looking at the future. You're looking at after the season. What is your future? And that's not to blame Salah. He's got to take the interview. I mean, he's got mm-hmm. to do what's best for him. But it wouldn't be the first time. And I would say a majority of the time when a coach, an assistant coach, has an interview while the season is still going for a playoff team, it does end up being a distraction. That unit tends to not play as well as it had in in the rest of the season. So I do think it could be a very big distraction especially with new players coming back and kind of having more of an ability to be kind of rolling the dice and gambling because you have your best players back. You can take a little more risk. But it goes further than that because supposedly Cleveland also talked to our top two offensive assistants, which the speculation I was reading is that they were, they're were they believing that if they were to hire Salah, would they be able to steal one of those two to be the offensive coordinator? Because obviously, Salah's not going to call plays like Kyle does. So I think it's very, very likely that Salah, at the very least, is somebody who will be discussing contract terms with Cleveland. Doesn't mean he'll come to an agreement, but teams do discuss contract terms. And sometimes that ends up being a factor in who they choose because some coaches demand more money and some don't. But I think. It, it's no question it has to be at least to some degree a distraction and disadvantage
1: they a source was quoted as saying that the cleveland browns are quote-unquote high on robert sala and to be honest i find that kind of hard to believe and that's not a knock against robert sala but i just think that it's it's one of those uh power plays where they're trying to be able to use that as leverage over whoever else they really want. I don't, I don't think that that Robert Sala would first of all take that job because that that is a dead end job. How many people have gone through Cleveland and and failed? That is basically you're committing you're committing career suicide if you're going to Cleveland as a coach. It's it's just not going to work. And I'm sure Kyle has told him about it too. He knows that place really well as well, being there as an assistant coach. And this is one of those things where I, I don't. Knock Robert Sala for getting for getting uh, going to this interview because it's like as an NFL assistant coach, how do you you may not get very many of these,
0: right? And there there's one aspect of this, one kind of twist that could be playing a large factor in the background. It would be impossible to ever really know how big of a factor this was, but the agent that Sala has is the same agent that paired. Big Fangio, with uh, I can never remember how to pronounce his name.
2: Rich, yeah, Rich Scangarello. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing. By the way, sorry, Rich.
0: All, all three of them share the same agent. So is he going to look to doing the same package deal like he did with Fangio and a 49ers top assistant previous year?
2: <laughs> it's a huge deal. Like, do not sleep on the the agents and that whole power play it's a massive deal behind the scenes. Like the agents care about that stuff. It matters to them. It's easy for them to sort of play both sides, obviously, because they can have contact with both sides and it's, you know, it's easy for Salah to talk to guys through his agent that way too. Um, I just, yeah. One of the the things about the Harbaugh 49ers that was so great was that the staff never got broken up. We kept expecting Fangio or Greg Roman to get looks, but they never did, and they were able to stay together, and I think it was a huge factor for their success, and I'd like to see the same thing happen with these 49ers, but again, you know, we talked about our expectations and how they change going forward. This may be the only year that they get here, because coaching staff, people, coaches may leave, players may get hurt, whatever the case may be. All the more reason they have to take advantage of this year in this spot, because we don't know. What the future holds for anybody.
1: Yeah, and we talked about it earlier. It's been gosh, six years since the 49ers played in a playoff game. And that seems like such a long time. And it guys, it's been 20, well, almost 26 years since the Niners last won a Super Bowl. That's a long time. It's a really long time. That's most of my life. So <laughs> I think that the the finality of all this and the importance of all this that, that none of that is lost, but at the same time, the Niners I just feel like are, are, are a better team than Minnesota. Like, yes, Minnesota has weapons everywhere, and they know how to use them. They've got Dalvin Cook, and they've got Diggs and Thielen, and and Kyle Rudolph, and obviously Kirk Cousins at quarterback, who's very efficient. But at the same time, like we also have to we also have to understand that the Niners' defense gets paid to play too, and this is this is an elite group. But despite the way that they played the second half of the season, due largely to injuries, but this is an elite group, and and they can still play at the same level that we saw them play at the beginning of the season because they're getting a lot of those players back. Now the rest versus rust thing. I mean, we'll see how that, how that works out, but I really think that the Niners can, can kind of settle in here and, and, and put it on the, the Vikings if, if they don't make any mistakes. And and I really hope that Jimmy hangs onto the ball and doesn't throw it to the other team. And the running backs can hang on to the ball because it's going to be a really run heavy game, I think. And, and, we talked about the Vikings' run defense, and obviously, we know about the, the Niners' run defense to the outside. They're very similar, where you can see a lot of outside runs. The weather—it's—it's it's supposed to rain, it may be windy, so it's going to be one of those games that, boy, it's going to be a knockdown, dragout game, and you can't afford to be giving up possessions by turning the ball over. And it may come down to the kickers. Really, that's may, that may be what it comes down to. It's going to be another anxiety-filled, close game.
2: Well, that's what I wanted to bring up—the fact that the rain is possible in the forecast. I think that in a perfect conditioned game, I like the 49ers offense against Minnesota's defense. But if it rains, I don't know how that, you know, that helps the Vikings more than it helps the 49ers. I think, mm. I don't know how you guys feel about it.
0: I think it does because Delvin Cook is a much better runner. I mean, he has a power uh, aspect to his running style. whereas. The Niners are very much track stars for their running backs. And in a rain game, it's going to come down to running games much more frequently as the Niners fans should be well aware with some of the rain games the Niners have had this season. I mean, most are trying to make a cut and take off like the track star he was in college. That's difficult to do in the rain. We saw last week in Seattle, Tevin Coleman kept slipping when he tried to make a cut, which... Maybe that was a cleat issue. Who knows? But I think it's very much in the Niners system that they need to be able to have strong footing for their running backs to be able to stick their foot in the ground and cut up field.
1: Yeah. And, and the forecast as of now says occasional rain showers and like a chance of a 40% chance. So, I mean, living here in in the Bay area, most of my life, like when it's like 40% chance of rain, it's just going to be like a drizzle. It's not going to be it's, and this could change by the end of the week, by the time people listen Mm -hmm. to this before the game. But uh, this is one of those things where we're early on in the week as of the recording of the show. And, and right now we don't know exactly what the weather is going to be, but there will be moisture. We just don't know how much of it. And, and it's not going to be like a monsoon type game like Jimmy played and, and the offense played and both Washington and Baltimore. Uh, I think it'll be one of those, like, there'll be a little bit of moisture on the ground. I don't think it's going to be a huge issue, but it, man, I, I just don't like they're not they're not a very good bad weather team they they their offense seems to grind to a halt so i'm hoping that doesn't turn into like a really bad weather game but i think that at the same time the niners are just much much more talented than than the vikings are and george kittle uh they're, the vikings have the best uh coverage or quarterback rating uh, allowed against tight ends of of the opposition's tight ends and george kittle's going to have have a, a a task in front of him to get open against those guys so i really think that Kyle Shanahan and the Niners offense are going to have to find another way to to score points and get the ball. Or George Kittle is just going to have to outmuscle these guys. Right? Everybody tries to double him, and it never works. So uh, it, it's going to be on Kyle to get in ball, get in the ball in creative ways. I really think that uh Jimmy's going to come out through a lot of short, quick passes at the beginning, because that's how you neutralize a pass rush. Xavier Rose was the worst corner in the league today uh, this year <laughs> in terms of coverage. Uh, he... Mike
2: hates him. <laughs>
1: That's the funny thing. It's that I, that's what reminded me because Florio hates him, right? Xavier Rose was the worst corner in the league. He gave up a completion percentage of eighty-three percent over, over this season. So everybody was targeting him. He had ten penalties this season. So I, I think they're really going to. That's where they're, you're going to see them target.
0: You know, I hadn't even thought of that till you just brought it up. How's the workplace atmosphere this week, Rob? I mean, Mike's a big Vikings fan, right?
1: I was going to bring that up. I was going to ask you, like, are you guys not talking this week? Or like, what, what's going on? Well, it's funny because Mike
2: was a Vikings fan growing up. And, you know, he's, he said, and I do believe him, that, you know, once you start doing this job for a long time, like, your fandom is not the same as it was when you were a kid. But he still pays attention to the Vikings and Chris Sims loves busting his chops about it. And I came into work today and I told him, I said, look, you and me, we're mortal enemies this week. Like, do not (laughs) talk to me when the show's not on the air. I don't want to hear anything. Don't be sending me text messages. And, and especially on Saturday, like, do not talk to me. I have no tolerance for that. So it's going to be, it's going to be frosty. Let me just tell you, it will be an uncomfortable situation, especially when the 49ers win and he's going to be,
1: Showing up on Monday, and he's going to be cranky as hell. Is is you, there a, a wager of any kind that we will see on PFT Live that you can get any any nuggets you can give us? Uh, he hasn't brought it up yet. Uh, here's what happens with Mike: he generally
2: feels feels one way about the game early in the week, and then as the week unfolds, he's sort of as he sort of hears things and churns things in his own head he he sometimes goes the other way so he may get more confident as the week goes so come Friday he may be feeling pretty strong so there could be some sort of wager and my what I want from him is I want him to dye his hair (laughs) which I might have to wait a couple weeks to like through the the Super Bowl because I don't know if NBC would be too thrilled if Mike had like purple hair (laughs) or actually I should make it red hair if the 49ers win but that will be my thing Niners win, you gotta dye your hair I'll dye my hair purple, I don't care
0: Make it gold hair so then he looks like Sims
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Well done, Lovin Done <laughs> <laughs> It would be a bunch of, a couple of twins Just like doing the
2: show together Make I'm him comb cold. his hair like Sims too He would look so bad Maybe I get the
1: the shaved on the sides too like Chris Like the high <laughs> and tight, that could be a good look Oh, that's hilarious! That's so good. I mean, so so basically, what you're saying is that this is one of the weeks we go with we go with MDS, right? Like we go with MDS's pick (laughs) instead of Florio's, right? Yeah, I mean, look, Mike is
2: he he plays it off like, oh, I'm not expecting them to win anything, but he's just trying to prevent the hurt because we all know that pain that you feel in the playoff losses, especially the further they get, the more the losses hurt. So he's trying to guard against that, but we all know that never works.
0: (laughs) And as a Vikings fan, I mean, you kind of learn to do that.
2: That's true. I mean, yeah. In terms of heartbreaking losses, they, them and the Saints, I feel like, have they kind of have the market cornered, and maybe the Packers,
1: too. That being said, we're talking about predictions, so guys, we should just get right into it. Predictions, what do you guys got?
0: I think early on it's going to be close. I do think the Niners are going to pull away. I think they're going to get uh, a big fourth quarter and make it seem like an easier game than it was in reality, and I'm going to go 31-17 Niners.
2: Wow, that's pretty that's pretty confident. I think that the game the 49ers will win the game as long as they avoid multiple turnovers. If they have one turnover, they'll be able to overcome it. Multiple turnovers, I'm not sure that they will be able to overcome it and since we're doing predictions, I predict that they will have one. They won't cross that line, but I'll take Niners
1: 28-24. All right, so um I'm going to go no, I'm just kidding outcry <laughs> if I went if I went Vikings. I did I did go Seattle in the last game and 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 uh, I'm glad I was wrong and I it was one of those head versus heart things but I got the Niners they just seem to me like they are on a mission this year and whoever comes in front of them and obviously they haven't played Minnesota yet so there's not that that film and, and they were not a common opponent. So they're going to have a task ahead of them trying to figure this out and and trying to decode Mike Zimmer's defense and they've got a really really good overall squad in Minnesota but the 49ers are at home and I feel like this team understands the gravity of every single moment that they're in and that that's what allows them to win these big games and I'm gonna go Niners and I'm gonna say that they're gonna win um I'm gonna say they're gonna go 27 20 and it's gonna be a close game and this will be another one of those that could come down to last possession but because that's what they love to do to me. They they love to to give me all that anxiety and stress and stuff. But yes, I think it's all about you. It's it is all about me. <laughs> hey, but hey, but if they're winning for me, hey, look, I asked them to win on my birthday, they won. I asked them to win on my daughter's birthday, they won. So I mean now they have to win on my birthday. Exactly. I tweeted at them too. I was shamelessly, I'm like, yo, can you guys just do a guy's solid and just win? So that's what you gotta do, Stats. You gotta tweet at them, be like, hey. At 49ers, can you can you win for a guy on his birthday? <laughs> and and know, I it. wish
2: they would do. I wish they would get me. So I've been trying to buy a George Kittle jersey since before Christmas, but they're sold out. You can't get a George Kittle jersey. I've been trying and trying. Really? And I finally had them on the website. So I went and I ordered it. They were on sale. I got it at a really good price. Two days later, they sent me an email that said, Oh, your jersey's unavailable. Sorry, we can't order it. And they're still not in stock. I cannot get a George Kittle jersey, and I'm freaking out because I feel like I need to step up my game before the playoffs, and I don't know if I can get it in time.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny. The office that I work in, um, the company that I work in, the we work in the same building as Fanatics. No. So <laughs> I should just go go downstairs to their floor and be like, hey – Let's do a trade for a trade. I'll give you some of what we produce for some of what you produce, and then just give me that George Kittle jersey, and then you know we'll just call it a day, right? Like in their lobby, know. they have they have a bunch of mannequins and they're all stood up with like 49ers jerseys on them. Like all of a sudden, the Kittle one is gone. <laughs> like, Where did that go? And like I'm just borrowing it. Stuff I happens. Mean, That's all I'm saying. Exactly. Like you can have it for the playoffs, and once yours comes in, I'll just give it back to them, right? There you go. It's coming from the same place technically, right? So I mean, it's it's a net zero thing for them, right? So it, we can just do that.
0: You think you can watch the game in jail?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it's a, anything like what Felicity Huffman had to go through, with like white collar, like super high class caviar dinners and all this stuff, like, yeah, sure. No problem. Right. But that's, that's a conversation for another time, but <laughs> it's a guys, different I, podcast. that's, that's a, that's, a, that's a different podcast. Um, I, I'm so pumped for this game. I'm so pumped, but also so scared for this game at the same time. And I think that as of the week will wear on, I'll get more pumped for it. I'm really glad that it's on a Saturday because we don't have to wait till Sunday to get there. And, and really, the Niners, I, they didn't really need that extra day. Minnesota's coming off of a, a short week. Um, they've got some injuries to some of their players. Both their corners, Rhodes and Wayans, are both injured. So um, I, I think that the Niners have a really good opportunity here to, I guess, another chance for them on the national stage. Like people are picking the Saints to go to the Super Bowl and, and saying the Niners were only the third-best playoff teams to put the Saints above them. This is another chance for them to shut up some doubters.
0: Certainly, but I think as much as we've talked about this game, there's one other game worth talking about. I don't think we really need to talk about the AFC at this point, maybe in the AFC Championship game, assuming the Niners are still alive. But I do think we should uh, spend some time talking about this Seattle-Green Bay game because it is a very interesting matchup, in my opinion. I think Green Bay, yes, they had the buy but a lot of people kind of consider them not really that great of a team. Meanwhile, you have Seattle sitting here kind of in the same way. These two teams won so many close games. that They were the two teams that just kept scratching out wins, and I think it's a very interesting matchup, especially with Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson as the quarterbacks because they're both great at that improvising and getting something out of a completely broken play.
2: Yeah, I want these two teams to beat the hell out of each other, preferably for about five to six quarters, would be awesome. Um, I was, you know, so angry when Carson Wentz went down. One, because I, Carson Wentz is a great player and I didn't want to see anybody get hurt. But two, I really thought the Eagles, if he was playing, had a legitimate shot to knock them out. And like we said at the beginning of the podcast, Philadelphia did not scare me nearly as much as Seattle. They always will. As long as Russell Wilson is healthy, the Seahawks Mm -hmm. will always scare me, and they will always be the number one team in the NFC that I didn't want to see. Now, who knows? They could get knocked out this week, and I will be rooting like crazy for Green Bay, which is sort of crazy because I never thought I'd be hoping to play Aaron Rodgers in a playoff game. But I could see Green Bay doing it because Seattle has never impressed me. I just hope that for one game at least, Aaron Rodgers just has a little bit more magic than Russell Wilson. And I know Russell's got a ton of it, but hopefully on one week, you know, Aaron Rodgers can sort of go back in time a little bit and pull one out.
1: So we look at Seattle and God, now we have to talk about Seattle. I hate those guys, but we look at Seattle and the way that they beat the Eagles. First of all, the clowny hit was dirty as hell. He should have been ejected for that. He's, Probably going to get fined for that. So, by the way, so Jimmy after the Seattle game threw uh, the game ball into the stands, and he got fined seventy five hundred dollars for that. And I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" So he gets fined for it's automatic. It it is automatic. Yes,
2: yes.
1: It is. And and I want to see three more footballs going into stands now. Every game that's (laughs) that's got to be the thing. It's like three more of those, right? And then and then we're good. But so Jadavian Clowney took a cheap shot. It was dirty as hell. There was nothing clean about it. He lowered his shoulder into it. It doesn't matter if Carson Wentz is a runner or not. You, you cannot lead with the crown of your helmet. Like, there's no incidental contact. He literally fell on him with his head first. And the NFL came up with a BS explanation that said, oh, well, it was incidental contact. He gave himself up as a runner or he was a runner at that point. It doesn't matter. Like You cannot lead with the crown of your head at any point, even if the guy is a runner. And to me, like when Seattle does those types of things, that kind of equals the playing field because they are a cheating team. They're a cheap team. They bend and break the rules. We know this. This you is are in full, full fanboy mode right now. I'm in full. Who is that, that, um, that, that jackass Seahawks blogger um, that was blocking people after talking smack and, and all this stuff. I don't, I don't even remember his name. Anyways, I'm being that guy right now. Anyways. So aside from that, let's get, let's get away from that for a second. The dirty hit that, that, Clowney should have been injected on, and I know Levin. I saw your tweet at the time. It was like all caps, rate like rage Levin likes like f words, and this is not like absolutely. <laughs> it wasn't all
0: caps, but yeah, I do think it was a dirty hit because to me, you got a quarterback who's clearly diving, and if Clowney was just wanting to make sure he got down or get a free hit on a quarterback who's a runner at that point, he would have dove on top. But instead, he turned and purposely tried to spear him, mm-hmm. and that to me shows the intent. But that's over and done with. We got a real game. So I listened to sports talk radio, unfortunately, all day, and I heard all about that play. So I'm kind of spent when it comes to that play because I think it was dirty. I think it's not getting the true animosity attention that it should because a lot of the coverage has been, oh, there's a lot of Philly fans who are upset about it, but it really wasn't that dirty. I think it was, but yeah. Besides that, I do find the potential rematch with Green Bay very interesting because when you beat a team 38 to 7 and then you're playing them in the NFC Championship game, assuming the two those two teams win, you know, I don't know if there's ever been an NFC Championship game that's had it's a rematch of a game that was that lopsided. That's an interesting question to me and I think that, that could have psychological side effects to it. I think the Niners could take it a little for granted.
2: I think yeah. if the Niners have to play the Packers in the NFC Championship game, they're going to boat race them. I think they would blow, them, blow doors right off of them again, honest to God. I, I know Aaron Rodgers is good, but the Niners' defense will be more rested. And they're, the Packers' defense is not scary in any way, shape, form, or fashion. They're just not. Go- I just watched that game today because I have that kind of time, apparently. The guys were <laughs> wide open. Ebo was wide open. Kittle was wide open against the Packers. It was pathetic. The Packers were completely demoralized by the end of that game. And they were eight and two at the time, I believe. So I I totally agree. I think if the Niners had to play them again, there is a psychological effect and I wouldn't be scared of that at all. I'm much more scared of Minnesota, to be honest, than I would be of green Bay.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty scared of the Vikings too although uh, I did say that the Niners put up 27 points on them. I'm pretty scared of the Vikings. I'm, I'm definitely scared of the Seahawks as well, obviously, because of how they play. This, this will get into my real analysis of the Seahawks and not like the fanboy stuff. So they, they excel at winning close games. They always have. This is what Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson do. They win close games. They have won 11 games. They've won 12 games in total, including the playoff game. They've won 11 of those games by one score. And we're talking about eight points or less. And they excel in those games. And the uh, the two of their losses, I believe, um, I believe two of their losses were by less than a score. The Niners won for sure, obviously, but I don't remember if the, the second one was. But anyways, they played in a ton of those close games this year. And another one, uh, they beat the the Eagles, I believe, by the same score they beat them in the in the regular season seventeen to seventeen to nine. But they excel at playing these tight, really tight games. And when it comes to the playoffs and and how how every possession and every single turnover and every incomplete pass could matter depending on the, the makeup of the game. You don't want to play a team like that, that thrives on those little things to be able to get them going. So I'm hoping for a, a green Bay Niners championship game. I really do. Um, and I'm not looking forward. I'm not like discounting the the, the Vikings. As I already said, I think that the Niners will win, but the Vikings will be a very, very tough out. So I'm not trying to disrespect the Vikings at all. But that being said, like, I would love for the Niners to play Green Bay at Levi's. Take vengeance for 97 when Brett Favre came in here in the candlestick and beat the Niners on the way to a Super Bowl loss against the Broncos. But I want vengeance. I want Kaz Shanahan's revenge tour to continue. And I I really hope, really, really hope it's not the Seahawks, but I'm fearing that we're going to see Niners-Seahawks 3.
0: I think that's the most likely scenario as well. and. Yeah, that that's going to be a, a a rough game, win or lose. Just as a fan, because every last play is going to be so important. Because there's so much history there, especially with the Seahawks eliminating the Niners, and I want no part of that being the end of this season.
1: <laughs> no yeah. part. So there's there's one thing I do want to I do want to bring up a parallel that I've seen: the Niners to me are the 2013 Seahawks. I know people don't want to hear this, but they're the 2013 Seahawks. They have a really good defense. They have a really good running game. They have a quarterback who can run the offense really, really well, is efficient, and they can win a lot of close games. They remind me so much of that 2013 Super Bowl champion Seahawks team that, that barely beat the Niners to, to get to the Super Bowl. But again, it was another one of those where like, the division came down to like the last few weeks and Seahawks were able to, to, to wrap it up in 2013 and the Niners went on the road, and we all know what happened. But it, this really... This Niners team reminds me so much of them. And they, they run the same defense, obviously, and Richard Sherman's on the team and all that stuff. But it just seems like it's it's a, a carbon copy of that team and, and that's that's a compliment to both teams, right? Because that Seahawks team was historic. It was dominant. And I think that the Niners have a chance to do the same sort of thing. They just gotta get they just gotta get there. They just gotta get into the final game of the season and then all bets are off.
0: I think the Niners are Certainly similar in terms of obviously the defense and then the overall demeanor and attitude of the team, that kind of moxie, whatever you want to call it, cockiness, bravado, whatever. It's certainly very similar to the Seattle team, but obviously I think the offenses are, are much different.
2: As long as they get where the Seattle team went, I don't care what you want to call them or what you want to compare them to. But let's take it, you know, let's start with Minnesota. It's going to be a tough challenge this week. I think we've broken it down pretty much from every possible angle. Um, I just, I can't wait. I i miss the playoffs so much. It's going to be, it's going to be an experience that
1: hopefully we won't have to wait another, what, seven years to have another one. Yeah, those end zones. those end zones will be painted red we got the old saloon font in the end zones. Can we get the
2: red 94 throwback jerseys, by the way? Uh, the white ones are awesome too, but those red yeah. Niner throwbacks
1: from 94 are my favorite Niner jerseys of all time. I think so too. Like I love those just because like I was a kid and that was the, the Super Bowl I remember the most because I was, you know, I was still a kid, but I, I that was the most recent one. I, I really wish they bring those back next year. And I really wish. So <laughs> I, I uh, was talking to Eric Davis over uh, on Twitter about this and, and asked him about, uh, there's a rumor that went around that the Niners, when they wore those 94 throwbacks, they got fined for the rest of the season because they were only supposed to wear them a certain amount of, of games, but they kept winning in them. So Eddie D was like, all right, we're just going to wear these and I'm going to pay that fine. And uh, he, could ne- he, he could neither confirm nor deny that this actually happened, but he acknowledged that there may have been exchanging of um, some, some funds there in terms of fines.
2: Maybe they break them out for the NFC title game. Like don't say anything and then just run out of the tunnel bam
1: 94 jerseys the crowd would go nuts <laughs> yeah they would yeah they would uh but before we head out here guys i do want to address one more thing on the afc side i know that levin said that we wouldn't talk about it but there's one thing i do want to address the patriots are out <laughs> and it's funny because i i see how their fans are reacting and the patriots players and stuff they're like apologizing to the fans like bro you know, Julian Edelman's apologizing to the fans. Like, bro, you don't got to apologize, man. You are literally in the Super Bowl every single year. You don't have to feel bad about this. You just completed the most dominant 20-year run in the history of the sport. You don't have to apologize about this at all. Like, the, the Patriots, I, I really think that this is it for them. Tom Brady took a steep decline this year. Their roster needs a lot of help. Bill Belichick, like, he still has the magic, and and they still went 12-4, and 4, right? It's funny for us to say that, oh, they're done at 12-4, and but it just seemed different this year to me, didn't it?
0: Certainly seemed different. I mean, I I did see something from Brady saying that he certainly would like it to work out with the Patriots. But I I do have a a weird feeling just after watching the games this weekend that if Brady does move on, I mean, if, if you're in the Patriots' shoes or Bill Belichick's shoes, what would be the ideal situation? Do you go with a brand new young quarterback while you still have a Potentially title contending defense. Personally, I don't think he would. I think he would look for a veteran, and there's two veterans that could be on the market outside of Tom Brady. And I think it would be right up Bill Belichick's alley to kind of stick it to Brady if he moves on. That would be Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers.
2: There's a and lot. I think it would
0: make sense as a stopgap.
2: There's a lot of potential free agent quarterbacks out there, not just those guys, too. I mean, even if he wanted to, you know, find a way to sneak up in the draft and maybe go draft Tua and go with a guy like Teddy Bridgewater for a year or two, something like that. But it's not just Brady that could move on for the Patriots. It could be Brady. Josh McDaniels could leave for a head coaching job. There's a lot of potential turnover there with New England. You know, And we've seen how when you have those big shifts like that with the 49ers, I mean, with Patrick Willis retiring and Justin Smith retiring, it drastically changes your team and it's hard to maintain a level of performance when you have that many losses in a year. So this could be a very different New England team next year and we may not just be able to pencil them in for 10 to 12
1: wins. Yeah, it's just so shocking to see them exit so early. It's the first time in 10 years they've exited this early because we're so used to them getting to the at least to the divisional round uh, if not the championship or the super bowl but the end of the game with two straight losses They end of the season with two straight losses one to Miami and and obviously this this last one to Tennessee and uh, i really think that they're in a situation where Brady's getting old and that, frankly their succession plan is here in the bay area and i'm so thrilled about that but they they are in a situation where if Belichick retires they've got Josh McDaniels as a replacement uh, that's ready and waiting to go and really they just they, without a quarterback that's as dominant as Brady I don't know what they're going to do I really don't know if they're going to be that good anymore because Brady masked so many of their deficiencies like when Steve Young retired from the Niners he masked so many of the Niners deficiencies that they were able to uh, that they were able to hide when he was playing and when he was out that was pretty much it
0: and and to make this relevant to maybe not the 49ers but to the West Coast part of me has wondered how much Brady wants to have the experience of playing football in California since he's a California kid. Mm -hmm. And I think if that Chargers scenario becomes a possibility with Rivers either retiring or moving on, I really wonder how much that he feels, whether that's even anything. Maybe it's not even anything to Brady to want to play professional football in California. But if it is, I think that's one of the one of the things that I haven't really heard, I mean, yeah, the Chargers make sense in a lot of ways for both the Chargers as a team opening a new stadium and, and Brady being able to go there and maybe have a championship level team. But there's also the California aspect of it with Brady being a California kid.
2: I got to tell you, my first thought when the Patriots went out was, oh, it makes it easier for the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. I literally like I, thought the
1: same thing. I literally I was, thought the same thing.
2: That's how I'm watching the AFC playoffs now. I'm like, okay, who's in? Who's out? Is this guy hurt? Okay, that could be, which is ridiculous because the 49ers still have two games to go before they even get to the Super Bowl, but I can't help it, you know, when, you, especially on the week off when the team's not playing, that's all I'm watching the AFC playoffs. I was like, oh, great. Belichick and Brady are out. Awesome. Bring on the Titans, please. We'll take that. But
1: like I said, long way to go before we get there. It is, and it starts with this Saturday. So, I I mean, guys, there's there's not much else to be said. Just get the pads on, buckle your chin straps, and it is going to be a ride. And if you guys are going to the stadium, if anybody's going to the game, be loud. Loud on defense, quiet on offense. You know how it is. But just, man, there's been so much energy in Levi's this year. Um, When I was at that Atlanta game, for the first time ever at Levi's, And I've been in so many games there. The first time ever, I've actually felt the ground shake at the end of the game before that final um, um, stand there at the goal line. And I want that energy the entire game. Uh, I don't want people being lethargic because, oh, it it may feel like another regular season game. It's coming off a bye. They need to come out sharp. They need to come out on point. They need to come out having a plan and being, being able to execute that plan, whether it's Jimmy hitting guys on quick passes or being able to establish the run. Or really just if, if they're stopped deep in their own territory, just getting field position, flipping field position. Like those things count. Everything counts in the playoffs. Like keeping your timeouts, not committing dumb penalty, all that stuff counts. Like every single yard counts in the playoffs, even much, even more than it does in the regular season. And I'm so thrilled that we're talking about Niners football in the playoffs, guys.
0: I think it's all because Rob and myself joined the podcast. That was the difference.
1: I think so too. I think that was, a, that was a great move by uh, David to to recruit us all together and make this a three-headed monster here. And uh, hopefully we're going to celebrate uh, three more times this season. I, I really hope so, guys. Oh, man, we're so close. We're so I close. Just I can taste it. Two more wins, and, then, and they're in a Super Bowl. How crazy is that? Coming off of a 4-12 season, two more wins, and they're in a Super Bowl, man. I, I, I can't wait to see it. Can't wait for it to unfold. Uh, Best of luck to the Niners this weekend, and guys, let's enjoy these games. So, 411 Black, 4 Rob Stascarera. I am Zane Nackmi, and this has been another episode, the 100th episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. Thank you all so much again for your support. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the comments. Thank you for everything that you've done to make this podcast what it is, and we promise to bring you much more great content in the future. Enjoy the games, everybody.